Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Stand with me this morning. Goodness gracious, didn't that just ring a bell with you? Well, to say Happy Mother's Day to my amazing wife over here and all of you, how many of you know this is important? You know, men do great things for God, but uh, mothers initiate great, great things for God. And whenever God wants to do exceptional things, how many of you know He begins with the mother? And that's what He does. Mothers are marvelous. And that's kind of our theme for this week. Mothers are marvelous. Even God, when he wanted to show his love and compassion, you know what he did? He compared it to a mother's love. This is Isaiah chapter 66, verse 13. As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. Let's pray together. Father, we're so grateful for your love, your compassion. We're thankful for your word that leads and guides us. Bless us today in Jesus' holy name. Amen. You may be seated. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're here today. So mom is taking her daughter to Walmart, and the little girl's between two and three years old, and I don't know if you've ever taken a little girl between two and three to Walmart, but uh, she put her in the cart, and she's going down the aisle, and she's grabbing things from the aisle. She wants everything, and she's uncomfortable. She cries, and she's hungry, and she's fussy, and uh, mom is saying, be patient, Ellen. This will be over in a minute. You're going to make this through. You don't have to have, you know, uh, a meltdown here. You don't have to have a breakdown, Ellen. And so she's going through the checkout, and one of the Walmart employees said, uh, you know, it's really amazing that you are comforting and so patient with your little girl, Ellen. She said, her name's not Ellen. My name is Ellen. (laughs) Well, sometimes that's the way we feel, isn't it? So as a mom, you know, you are a many-faceted person. You are the housekeeper, you're the CEO, you're the cook, chief bottle washer, right? You're the coach, you're the educator, you're the fix-everything taxi driver, you're the doctor, you're the nurse, and you're the chief problem solver. Can I hear an amen? I was listening to a pastor from Georgia this week, and he gave the true account of a mother who had some obligations at church, and She was running late. The dad had already gone on because he had some obligations. And so she's trying to dress her little girls. And one is about three years old. The other one's about three or four years older. And uh, so she likes to dress them in these big, large, frilly dresses. And so she got the girls dressed. They run to the car. They jump to the car. They're running late. And about, about five minutes from the church, the youngest one said, Mom, you forgot to put my panties on. Well, what to do? How I many of you know mothers are geniuses? So she says to the older one, said, Honey, take your panties off and give to your little sister. Because she knew the little sister would be rolling in the aisle and standing on her head and jumping up and down. And, but that morning at church, she said, My oldest daughter never sat so still in church as she did that morning with no underwear on. Well, I tell you what, moms are just absolutely crafty genius problem solvers 
And today we're going to talk about moms. And, uh, you know, the, the version of Mother's Day today was uh, started by Anna Jarvis back in 1907 in her Methodist church back in West Virginia in 1914. Woodrow Wilson signed it as a national holiday. So that's where we are today. And it's good to honor moms and dads, right? Because you do know God said to honor your mother and your father. It made the top ten list. And so that's what we should be doing. So today... I want to give you three marvelous moms that we're going to talk about today. And some of God's greatest works began in the hearts and the lives of mothers. So when God got ready to deliver the children of Israel out of the land of bondage or out of Egypt, he did not start with Moses. How many of you know he started with Moses' mother first? Her name is Jochebed. So Jochebed is going to begin the process because... The children of Israel, the Hebrews, they've been in bondage for a long time, about 400 years. And now God's beginning to move in the life of a mom. This is Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And a man of the house of Levi went and took a wife, as a, a, a wife, a daughter of Levi. So when the woman conceived, she bore a son. When she saw that he was beautiful, a beautiful child, she hid him three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes, and made that for him, daubed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in, laid it in the reeds by the river's bank, and his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. Now, question is, why is she doing this? Well, you have to go back to chapter 1 to understand the story. So the Hebrews, the Israelites, they're multiplying. They're, they're gaining ground. They're really, in some way, pretty prosperous. And this is what Pharaoh says he says, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we are. I don't even know as God's people, we should be more and mightier. We, we are the people of Almighty God. We're God's elect. We're God's chosen people. And how do you get there? By choosing Him. And you give your heart and your life to Christ. So the decree went out to kill all of the baby boys. So all the male children that are to be birthed, they are to throw them in the Nile River or to uh, get rid of them in some way. So Jochebed, looking at this baby, decides she's not going to do that. So the marvelous attributes of Jochebed, let me just give you three today. Here's number one. She valued the sanctity of life. She valued the sanctity of life. How many of you know life is precious? Life is good, and the Bible says children are a heritage from the Lord. So you look at that baby, you look at that teenager, and sometimes you say, Lord, are you really saying what I think you're saying? These are marvelous kids. And how many of you know they are marvelous kids? Even when they have dirty bottoms and they disobey, they're still marvelous. It's, it's the sanctity of life. And she looked at this child, a beautiful child, a goodly child, a fine child, and the word here is the Hebrew word, Tov, and it means pleasant, happy. It's even translated wealth. You know, when you have a baby, that's wealth. And you say, no, it's not. It's draining my bank account. Oh, no. In God's eyes, you are wealthy because of this baby that you're having. And so this is how Jochebed looked at this. She realized the value of her children. Now, the second attribute of Jochebed is she chose God's law over current culture. So the current culture that day was to kill the little baby boys. And how many of you know she went counterculture to culture? You and I are under extreme pressure, mom and dad, to conform to culture today. 
Now, I want you to, if you don't listen to anything else I say, you need to really listen up because this is very, very important. You have a culture today that is creeping in, and that culture is after your children. That culture is coming for you. There's tremendous pressure to bow down to that culture. Mother Jochebed is trying to shelter her son from the current culture. That culture is going to physically kill her baby. We live in a culture today that wants to turn your child in a way you don't want your child to be turned. There's a culture today for your children and my children to go away that is not pleasing to God. Now we have to look at this because it is so true. This is BuzzFeed, and this is from October the 12th, 2019. And they're very proud of this, and they're applauding this, but I want to make you aware of this. There are 15 children's programs today that are showing and exampling in their program with characters that are LGBT characters in kids' shows. Now, in case you don't know what shows they are, I'm going to list all 15 for you. It is Author, Good Luck Charlie, Steven Universe, Rocco's Modern Life, My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic, Andy Mac, Adventure Time, The Loud House, The Legend of Korra, Danger and Eggs, Star Wars Resistance, Gravity Falls, Clarence, The Lodge, Star versus the Forces of Evil. Each one of them have characters in that your child is not old enough or mature enough to grasp or process. But the culture is indoctrinating, indoctrinating our, our children, this indoctrination that's going on, by letting them watch things they don't understand, nor can they really process in the right way. So you and I need to be aware of that. It's happening today. And so if you have your kids watching any of those 15 shows, you need to hit the remote and go somewhere else. And kids are going to watch them, I know. Saturday morning cartoons. Uh, it, you know, cartoons are on 24 hours a day. Yesterday, my grandkids came down, and we watched a little Sesame Street. Elmo, Big Bird, and... Uh, as far as I know, they were all good, but how many of you know the culture is pressing? It's coming, and it's coming for you. It's coming for your kids. People Magazine, March 12, 2021. Rachel DeSantis writes this. Many of you saw this on the national news. A New York City private school is defending their decision to encourage students to use more inclusive language by ditching assumptive words such as Here's the bad words, folks, parents, mom and dad, and using phrases like grown-ups or family instead. In recent days, however, the inclusive language guide has made headlines for suggestions which encourage students to use words like people and folks and friends instead of boys and girls, guys or ladies and gentlemen, students are encouraged to avoid phrases like diverse, minority, in favor of people of color or identity populations, and trade words like husband and wife for spouse and partner. Let me tell you something. That's crazy. That's crazy. But it's coming for you, and it's coming for your kids. 
Nikki Truesdale, in an article February 26, 2021, she said, if you don't know what it means to be woke, if you're not sure, it's time for you to get educated for the woke children, uh, the woke culture is coming for your children. And let me illustrate this by giving you just some current headlines. Hasbro has now rolled out a gender-neutral Mr. Potato Head. It's not Mr. Potato Head. It's not Mrs. Potato Head. It's just Potato Head. And whoever figured that out, it's a Potato Head. <laughs> Under Armour is mandating that white employees watch anti-white diversity training videos. California now has passed a bill requiring gender-neutral stores, fining stores $1,000 for having separate toy departments, one for girls and one for boys. Amazon now is uh, debuting a new policy for books labeled hate speech, and somebody else gets to label what those books are. You shouldn't play Monopoly anymore because it is ubiquitous racism. Monopoly. Dr. Seuss books are taken off the shelf, branded racist, problematic. Coca-Cola wanted to have diversity training, urging workers to be less white. Teachers in Madison, Wisconsin, trained to assist children with transitioning and hide it from your parents. Crazy. Jack, you're black, I'm white, you'll always be black, and I'll always be white. And I love you black, and hopefully you love me white. Let me tell you, we are God's creation. We are God's people. Let's be who we are, appreciate one another, and just serve God. But let me tell you what our world's trying to do. No, God made a mistake about you, and so God is wrong. Let us tell you what is right. My friends, God will always be right. And culture may always be wrong. So that, that's something we're going to have to deal with. And moms, let me tell you, you're on the front line. You're the ones who are having to deal with this. Let me tell you another attribute of Jochebed. She took action to protect her child. So Jochebed is very proactive. She's not, uh, you know, just thinking about it. She's not pondering it. She actually moved to action. She, she built that little reed ark, that little boat. And she made it waterproof. She put Moses in. She's trying to do everything she can to protect her baby. Trying to do everything she can to keep her son alive. We know the story. Pharaoh's daughter took that baby and he became the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And was very important. And he literally led Israel out of that bondage. Listen to verse 3. But when she could no longer hide the child, she took the ark, made it waterproof, and put the child in it, laid it in the reeds by the riverbank. How many of you know God's at, at work in this story? God's moving in this story. Here's another marvelous mom by the name of Hannah. She's going to raise up a righteous priest. So... The stories in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, there was a certain man from the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Elkanah, and he had two wives. One was called Hannah, the other was Penaniah. And she had children, Hannah had none. So think about Hannah. Year after year, what's she doing? She, she's wanting a child. She, she's asking God for a child. Years go by, she has no children. But this other wife who has children, she is provoking Hannah. She's making her irritable, miserable. She's mocking her because Hannah can't have children. 
And I was thinking this morning, I came in early and I'm, I'm thinking about Hannah. I don't know much about oysters or pearls, and, and, uh, but I, I do know the process. You know, if, if one of those oysters get a little grain of sand or some type of irritant inside, if they can't expel it, if they can't get rid of it, you know what they do? They secrete something that begins to cover that little grain of sand or that irritant. And it will continue to do that layer by layer by layer until that thing is round and completely smooth. You know what it is? It's a pearl. You know, sometimes the world will throw you a little bit of sand, throw you an irritant. And you know what we have the ability to do? We have the ability, by God's grace and His wisdom, to take the things that irritate us and make something beautiful out of something that's not so great, right? And, and that's what Hannah does. Here's the characteristic. She was a woman of grace and patience. There is nowhere in this story of Hannah that she retaliates against this other woman who has children that's mocking her and having her feel less than she really is. Do you remember what Hannah's husband did? He gave her a double portion. And then there's one point in this story. He goes to Hannah and says, Hannah, you know I love you. And, and he says, aren't I better than ten sons? That's a cocky dude, didn't he? Hey, baby, I'm better than ten sons. I'm your cool cat husband. Don't worry about that. But you know what? Hannah's still wanting a baby. She, she wants a son, and she's praying for a son. But she understood God's timing is not her timing. Have you found out God's timing is not your timing? God just does things just as he wills and not as I will. God has a different timing than, than you and I. So she's a woman of grace and patience. She also is a mother who knew how to pray. Hannah knows how to pray. Verse 10, in her deep anguish. Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. She is a woman who knows how to pray. So she is a praying mom. Let me tell you, moms or moms to be, when you ought to start praying before your kids are ever born. Pray for them before they get here. Pray that God will help them, God will lead them, God will have the right person for them, the, the right husband, the right wife. Pray before they get here, because I'll guarantee you, you'll do a lot of praying after they arrive. Can I hear an amen? Because we want the best for our kids, and we have a great group of kids in this church, but I tell you what, every kid needs to be prayed over. They need to be directed. So Hannah was a praying mother. Hannah also was a woman who knew how to worship. Look with me, this is chapter 2, so we're going we're gonna to jump ahead just a little bit. In chapter 2, she says, My heart rejoices in the Lord, but in my strength, or the Lord is my strength, he's lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. So what's she doing? She's not only praying, but she's worshiping. Don't you wish that moms and dads all across America and all across the world would bring their family together and worship Almighty God? Would our world be better? I'm going to guarantee you. You know what? Let me just make this declaration. It's time to get out of the basement and start coming to the house of God as families and let's worship the Lord. 
It's time for us to be people that come to worship. Now, I know you've got plenty of things to do. I do. You do. Well, you know, Pastor, I'm busy. The rest of us are. Goodness gracious. You, you need to think about that again. I've got just as much stuff to do than you do. I'll, I'll guarantee you, probably for most of you, I've got more to do than you do. You're not believing that, but anyway, I believe that. And I want to tell you something. Hannah is giving us a marvelous attribute that we need to be people who come to worship God. There's something dynamic that happens when God's people gets together and we worship Him. Something supernatural is happening when we gather together in His name. His presence is right there in the midst of us. And that's what Hannah does. She is a mother who worships. And then along comes who? Samuel. She asked and the Lord gave. Let me tell you, Israel needed a Samuel. Because when I read the last few lines of the book of Judges, you know what the Bible says? And everybody did what was right in their own eyes. That's where you live today. Well, this is my truth. Well, this is my truth. Well, this is what I believe. Well, that's what you believe, and, and you believe something else. Everybody is doing what they think is right in their own eyes. How many of you know we need some Samuels? Somebody to raise up and say, this is what the Lord says. This is the right way. Not your way, not my way, but God's way. Samuel's one of the most important men of history between Moses and King David. And he came at the right time through a woman, through a mother that could not have children, but she prayed and she worshiped God that God would give her a son. You know how many children Hannah eventually had? Six. This woman who had no children, just thank God for the one, and then five more came later. So ladies, watch how you pray. So here she is, a marvelous mother. Now here's the last one I want to share with you. Her name is Ruth. And uh, Ruth begins the lineage of a royal line. Now, most of you know the story of Ruth. Ruth is a Moabitess. She's from the land of Moab. There's a family who leaves Bethlehem, and they go there to Moab to live. Then eventually, that father dies, and then the sons die, and one of the sons is one that Ruth is married to. And here she is. She has no husband. She, she has no brother-in-law. She has no father-in-law. The only one that's left is another lady, and her mother-in-law, Naomi. And she chooses to leave Orpah back in Moab and go with Naomi to a place that she's not familiar with, a people that she does not know. And she is a woman who is, number one, very resilient. You know what she does? She leaves and she goes back to Bethlehem. She goes back to Israel. And her and her mother-in-law, Naomi, have absolutely nothing I mean, they, they don't even have enough food to eat. And she's endured the loss of her husband. She's separated from her family in Moab. But she's willing to keep going forward. Have you ever met someone who had a tragedy, a death, a sickness, a divorce, and they got stuck? Happens all the time, doesn't it? Listen, you can't get out of this world without some stuff happening. I can't get through without some stuff happening to me, and you can't either. There's going to be death. There's going to be disappointments. There's going to be challenges. 
You're going to have some difficulties. But goodness gracious, don't get stuck there. Don't, don't just wallow in your challenge. Don't wallow in that defeat. Get up like a Ruth and say, I'm going to bounce back. I'm going to be resilient, and I'm going to go forward. And that's exactly what she does here. But she's also a woman, secondly, who's very resilient. And then she's industrious. She's willing to work. You see, there was no welfare system back then. And the way that God provided for many of those people who are very compromised, he had a law, and the law was the law of the gleaner. Does anybody know what the law of the gleaner is? Well, this is what it is. If you don't have land or you don't have food or you don't have a way to you know, help yourself uh, with, with what you have immediately, then God said when the harvest, with its wheat harvest, barley harvest, whatever harvest it is, then you can become a gleaner. And that's what Ruth does to live her and her mother-in-law, Naomi. Now, Naomi's older. She can't go out and do it. But Ruth says, I will do enough that we can live, me and you, Naomi. So she goes out to the harvest fields. Now, this is what a gleaner does. God said, when you harvest the fields, don't cut the corners. And if you ever spill any of the grain or the produce or the fruit on the ground, do not pick it up. Because who gets to pick it up? Those people who are gleaners. So Ruth becomes a gleaner. And so during the barley harvest, the wheat harvest, she goes out in the fields and she harvests the corners of the fields. And if anybody spilt anything on the ground, she was able to pick it back up. So every day she took it back to Naomi. That's what they ate. And let me tell you whose fields she is uh, gleaning in. It's a guy by the name of Boaz. Now Boaz is rich. He's not married that we have recorded here. And he sees Ruth out in his fields, gleaning the fields. And as you've heard me say, the spirit of hubba hubba went all over him. So he looks at this young lady by the name of Ruth. She's a young widow. And uh, Boaz looks at her, and this is what he says to his harvesters. Hey, drop a little bit on the ground for her. You know, I can't cruise Sonic, but throw some food down there where she can get it. And then in the story, this industrious woman by the name of Ruth, she's gleaning the fields, but she catches the eye of the owner of the field by the name of Boaz. And so she's not just working for herself. She's working for her mother-in-law. And when, when Boaz sees the beauty, sees the wonderful qualities in this gleaner by the name of Ruth, he marries her. Now, this is the part of the story I love. Now she's not just the gleaner of the field, Honey, she owns the field. Isn't that a great story? Because her husband owns all of this. And now she's a partaker of ownership in all the field. Do you know you're married to Jesus Christ as a church, as a believer? My friends, as a believer, as the bride of Christ, you and I get to participate in owning everything, a new heaven, a new earth, that we know the Savior and we're going to be a part of this new kingdom that we call a new heaven and a new earth. And now Ruth is the wife of the man who's rich and he owns everything. And then they get married and they have a baby. They call his name Obed. You know what Obed means? I looked it up this morning. It means serving to work and to labor. Isn't it odd? This woman who got out, this young lady who gets out and she works every day trying to eke out a living. When they have the first son, they call him the servant laborer. I don't think that's by happenstance to you. But then 
As she gives birth to Obed, when Obed gets a little older, he gets married, and he has a son by the name of Jesse. Then Jesse gets married, and he has a son by the name of David. Now David becomes the king. Do you know Ruth is the great-grandmother of King David, a man after God's own heart? And now Ruth finds herself in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. She's not an Israeli. She's not a Hebrew. She is a woman from Moab that just said, I'll do what I need to do. I'll bounce back from my adversity. I'll go forward. If I can catch a, you know, a break, I'll catch it. And now she is in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, that's an amazing story. This mother becomes the mother of royalty. This is what God told David. He said, there will be an heir that will sit on, the, on this throne forever. And guess what? From the tribe of Judah, Jesus Christ came through the lineage of David, through Ruth, and how many of you know, he is king of kings, Jesus, king of kings and lord of lords, and he will reign forever. And it's because a woman, a mother, decided to do what's right. Moms, let me tell you how much power you have. You're awesome. You're marvelous if you just do what God wants you to do. You'll never know what that little munchkin will grow up and be. Right? You'll never know what that little snotty-nosed kid will become. But if you put the right things in your children, God can do amazing things through our kids. And I believe that today, don't you? I came across this account. This is 1820. The man's name is Peter Richley. What happened to him is outstanding. It's unbelievable. So I had to go back to see if it's even true. You ever heard a story so unbelievable? You said, that surely can't be true. Surely it was. Peter Richley, 1820, is on a sailing ship. And the ship goes down. He's a product of a shipwreck. People die. He's floating in the ocean. Another ship comes by, picks him up. It's not long, that ship, shipwreck, goes down. Peter's back in the deep again. Another ship comes by, picks him up. Not long, that ship went down. Peter's again back in the ocean. Another ship comes by. Peter richly is saved. Believe it or not, that ship goes down. And he's rescued again. He goes through five different shipwrecks and is saved in every one of them. And there in the ocean, an ocean liner by the name of Leeds. This boat's named after the city of Leeds in England. And it comes by, and there Peter Richley is, floating in the water, and they fish him out of the ocean, and they save his life again. And the doctor examines him and says, well, you seem to be okay. Gave, give him a cursory exam, and he says, well, it looks like you have amazing favor. When they hear his story, it's unbelievable. But the doctor said, uh, Peter, can I ask you a favor? He said, we have a woman that's on the ship. We're sailing to Australia. She's got really sick on the way. And she has a high fever. I think she's delusional. She thinks she's dying. She may be dying. 
but she is uh, she's below deck and she's praying and this is what she's crying out please God let me see my son before I die I must see my son could you go in Peter and just pretend that you're her son so if she dies she can just die in peace so Peter said, I, I, don't, I don't want to do that. He said, well, listen, I think it would mean a lot to her because I don't think she'll know who you are. Just go in there and pretend you're son and let her die in peace. So Peter agrees to go in. He goes into the little room. There's a woman laying on this little small bed, gray-haired, sweating, sick, crying out, oh, God, let me see my son one more time before I die. Peter stands at the door. doctor kind of pushes him in. Come, come on. When Peter gets up close to this woman, he realizes it is his mother. He hadn't seen her in 10 years. And Peter went up and he put his arms around her and said, Mom, it is me. And you know what? She recovered. They sailed to Australia. You know what that tells me? The power of a mother who prays. This guy is rescued five different times from the ocean, and he should have died once and again and again and again, but there was a little gray-haired woman praying, God, let me see my son one more time. The power of a mother's prayer. It's amazing, isn't it? Can I say something about you? You don't know that there might have been a grandmother or a great-grandmother or a great-great-grandmother that prayed before you ever arrived on this earth that said, God, let my kids be good kids, godly kids. Let them do great things. Let me tell you, that's the power of a praying mom or a dad. Here we are today. We're gathered together and you're still alive and you're still going forward and it could be just because somebody prayed for you. Or pray for me. Let me tell you something. Don't mess up your life. Because this world is going to say, you need to go after this. You need to do that. You need to become that. I'm telling you, become what God wants you to become. That's where you will live in infamy, if you will. Because in the halls of heaven, God records how we live and what we do for him. Not that we can do it to be saved. But how many know once you get saved, you ought to be doing something for God? So here we are today, we're celebrating marvelous moms, and we got a whole bunch of them today. And today I want to tell you that you're really important, valuable, not only in the eyes of God, but valuable to all of us here, and especially to your family. Come on, moms, let, let's do what's right. Let's become who God wants us to be, because there's somebody looking at you, there's somebody watching you, you're the example. You might say, well, listen, my, my kids are grown or whatever. Let me tell you, Carrie and I, we, we believe this. We're still doing this. You need to parent till you die. Or I could reverse that. You might die parenting. It's going to change. You can't always do like you did when they were three. But you need to be there for them. You need to be emotionally supportive. You need to be there to care for them if they need care. You got to be very careful how you approach it, how you give advice. Somebody say, "Man, you know what I found out? Kids look at their mom when they're five, and mom knows everything. Thirteen, they don't know much. By twenty-one, they start to know a little bit. By about forty, you say, "I wonder what mom would say about this." 
When you get to be 65, you say, I wish I could talk to mom one more time. It's the circle of life, isn't it? Bow your head with me this morning. We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you are encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory, and hope changes everything.